0: section two of state of the union addresses eighteen forty five to eighteen forty eight this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. state of the union address james polk december second eighteen forty five part two all attempts at compromise having failed It becomes the duty of Congress to consider what measures it may be proper to adopt for the security and protection of our citizens now inhabiting, or who may hereafter inhabit Oregon, and for the maintenance of our just title to that territory. In adopting measures for this purpose, care should be taken that nothing be done to violate the stipulations of the Convention of 1827, which is still in force." The faith of treaties, in their letter and spirit, has ever been, and I trust will ever be, scrupulously observed by the United States. Under that convention, a year's notice is required to be given by either party to the other before the joint occupancy shall terminate and before either can rightfully assert or exercise exclusive jurisdiction over any portion of the territory. This notice... It would, in my judgment, be proper to give, and I recommend that provision be made by law for giving it accordingly, and terminating in this manner the Convention of the 6th of August, 1827. It will become proper for Congress to determine what legislation they can in the meantime adopt without violating this Convention beyond all question the protection of our laws and our jurisdiction civil and criminal ought to be immediately extended over our citizens in oregon they have had just cause to complain of our long neglect in this particular and have in consequence been compelled for their own security and protection to establish a provisional government for themselves strong in their allegiance and ardent in their attachment to the united states they have been thus cast upon their own resources they are anxious that our laws should be extended over them and i recommend that this be done by congress with as little delay as possible in the full extent to which the british parliament have proceeded in regard to british subjects in that territory by their act of july second eighteen twenty one FOR REGULATING THE FUR TRADE AND ESTABLISHING A CRIMINAL AND CIVIL JURISDICTION WITHIN CERTAIN PARTS OF NORTH AMERICA. BY THIS ACT, GREAT BRITAIN EXTENDED HER LAWS AND JURISDICTION, CIVIL AND CRIMINAL, OVER HER SUBJECTS ENGAGED IN THE FUR TRADE IN THAT TERRITORY. BY IT, THE COURTS OF THE PROVINCE OF UPPER CANADA WERE EMPOWERED TO TAKE COGNIZANCE OF CAUSES, CIVIL AND CRIMINAL justices of the peace and other judicial officers were authorized to be appointed in oregon with power to execute all processes issuing from the courts of that province and to sit and hold courts of record for the trial of criminal offenses and misdemeanors not made the subject of capital punishment and also of civil cases where the cause of action shall not exceed in value the amount sum of two hundred pounds subsequent to the date of this act of parliament a grant was made from the british crown to the hudson's bay company of the exclusive trade with the indian tribes in the oregon territory subject to a reservation that it shall not operate To the exclusion of the subjects of any foreign states who under or by force of any convention for the time being between us and such foreign states respectively may be entitled to and shall be engaged in the said trade it is much to be regretted that while under this act British subjects have enjoyed the protection of British laws and British judicial tribunals throughout the whole of Oregon. American citizens in the same territory have enjoyed no such protection from their government. At the same time, the result illustrates the character of our people and their institutions. In spite of this neglect, they have multiplied and their number is rapidly increasing in that territory they have made no appeal to arms but have peacefully fortified themselves in their new homes by the adoption of republican institutions for themselves furnishing another example of the truth that self-government is inherent in the american breast and must prevail it is due to them that they should be embraced and protected by our laws. It is deemed important that our laws regulating trade and intercourse with the Indian tribes east of the Rocky Mountains should be extended to such tribes as dwell beyond them. The increasing emigration to Oregon, and the care and protection which is due from the government to its citizens in that distant region, make it our duty as it is our interest to cultivate amicable relations with the indian tribes of that territory for this purpose i recommend that provision be made for establishing an indian agency and such sub-agencies as may be deemed necessary beyond the rocky mountains for the protection of emigrants whilst on their way to oregon against the attacks of the indian tribes occupying the country through which they pass i recommend that a suitable number of stockades and blockhouse forts be erected along the usual route between our frontier settlements on the missouri and the rocky mountains and that an adequate force of mounted riflemen be raised to guard and protect them on their journey the immediate adoption of these recommendations by congress will not violate the provisions of the existing treaty it will be doing nothing more for american citizens than british laws have long since done for british subjects in the same territory it requires several months to perform the voyage by sea from the atlantic states to oregon and although we have a large number of whale ships in the pacific but few of them afford an opportunity of interchanging intelligence without great delay, between our settlements in that distant region and the United States. An overland mail is believed to be entirely practicable, and the importance of establishing such a mail at least once a month is submitted to the favorable consideration of Congress. It is submitted to the wisdom of Congress to determine whether, at their present session, and until after the expiration of the year's notice any other measures may be adopted consistently with the convention of eighteen twenty seven for the security of our rights and the government and protection of our citizens in oregon that it will ultimately be wise and proper to make liberal grants of land to the patriotic pioneers who amidst privations and dangers lead the way through savage tribes inhabiting the vast wilderness intervening between our frontier settlements and oregon and who cultivate and are ever ready to defend the soil i am fully satisfied to doubt whether they will obtain such grants as soon as the convention between the united states and great britain shall have ceased to exist would be to doubt the justice of congress but pending the year's notice it is worthy of consideration whether a stipulation to this effect may be made consistently with the spirit of that convention the recommendations which i have made as to the best manner of securing our rights in oregon are submitted to congress with great deference should they in their wisdom devise any other mode better calculated to accomplish the same object, it shall meet with my hearty concurrence. At the end of the year's notice, should Congress think it proper to make provision for giving that notice, we shall have reached a period when the national rights in Oregon must either be abandoned or firmly maintained that they cannot be abandoned without sacrifice of both national honor and interest is too clear to admit of doubt. Oregon is part of the North American continent, to which it is confidently affirmed the title of the United States is the best now in existence. For the grounds on which that title rests, I refer you to the correspondence of the late and present Secretary of State, with the British plenipotentiary during the negotiation. The British proposition of compromise, which would make the Columbia the line south of 49 with a trifling addition of detached territory to the United States north of that river, and would leave on the British side two-thirds of the whole Oregon territory, including the free navigation of the Columbia and all the valuable harbors on the Pacific, can never for a moment be entertained by the United States without an abandonment of their just and dear territorial rights, their own self-respect, and the national honor. For the information of Congress, I communicate herewith correspondence which took place between the two governments during the late negotiation. The rapid extension of our settlements over our territories heretofore unoccupied, THE ADDITION OF NEW STATES TO OUR CONFEDERACY, THE EXPANSION OF FREE PRINCIPLES AND OUR RISING GREATNESS AS A NATION, ARE ATTRACTING THE ATTENTION OF THE POWERS OF EUROPE, AND LATELY THE DOCTRINE HAS BEEN BROACHED IN SOME OF THEM OF A BALANCE OF POWER ON THIS CONTINENT TO CHECK OUR ADVANCEMENT. THE UNITED STATES, Sincerely desirous of preserving relations of good understanding with all nations, cannot in silence permit any European interference on the North American continent, and should any such interference be attempted, will be ready to resist at any and all hazards. It is well known to the American people, and to all nations, this government has never interfered with the relations subsisting between other governments. We have never made ourselves parties to their wars or their alliances. We have not sought their territories by conquest. We have not mingled with the parties in their domestic struggles. And believing our own form of government to be the best, we have never attempted to propagate it by intrigues, by diplomacy or by force we may claim on this continent a like exemption from european interference the nations of america are equally sovereign and independent with those of europe they possess the same rights independent of all foreign interposition to make war to conclude peace and to regulate their internal affairs the people of the united states can not therefore view with indifference attempts of European powers to interfere with the independent action of the nations on this continent. The American system of government is entirely different from that of Europe. Jealousy among the different sovereigns of Europe, lest any one of them might become too powerful for the rest, has caused them anxiously to desire the establishment of what they term the balance of power it cannot be permitted to have any application on the north american continent and especially to the united states we must ever maintain the principle that the people of this continent alone have the right to decide their own destiny should any portion of them constituting an independent state propose to unite themselves with our confederacy This will be a question for them and us to determine without any foreign interposition. We can never consent that European powers shall interfere to prevent such a union, because it might disturb the balance of power, which they may desire to maintain upon this continent. Near a quarter century ago, The principle was distinctly announced to the world in the annual message of one of my predecessors that the American continents, by the free and independent condition which they have assumed and maintained, are henceforth not to be considered as subjects for colonization by any European powers. This principle will apply with greatly increased force." should any european power attempt to establish any new colony in north america in the existing circumstances of the world the present is deemed a proper occasion to reiterate and reaffirm the principle avowed by mr monroe and to state my cordial concurrence in its wisdom and sound policy the reassertion of this principle especially in reference to north america is at this day but the promulgation of a policy which no european power should cherish the disposition to resist existing rights of every european nation should be respected but it is due alike to our safety and our interests that the efficient protection of our laws should be extended over our whole territorial limits and that it should be distinctly announced to the world as our settled policy that no future European colony or dominion shall with our consent be planted or established on any part of the North American continent. A question has recently arisen under the 10th article of the subsisting treaty between the United States and Prussia. By this article, the consuls of the two countries have the right to sit as judges and arbitrators, in such differences as may arise between the captains and crews of the vessels belonging to the nation whose interests are committed to their charge without the interference of the local authorities unless the conduct of the crews or of the captain should disturb the order or tranquillity of the country or the said consuls should require their assistance to cause their decisions to be carried into effect or supported the prussian consul at new bedford in june eighteen forty four applied to mr justice story to carry into effect a decision made by him between the captain and crew of the prussian ship borussia but the request was refused on the ground that without previous legislation by congress the judiciary did not possess the power to give effect to this article of the treaty The Prussian government, through their ministry here, have complained of this violation of the treaty and have asked the government of the United States to adopt the necessary measures to prevent similar violations hereafter. Good faith to Prussia, as well as to other nations with whom we have similar treaty stipulations, requires that these should be faithfully observed i have deemed it proper therefore to lay the subject before congress and to recommend such legislation as may be necessary to give effect to these treaty obligations by virtue of an arrangement made between the spanish government and that of the united states in december eighteen thirty one american vessels since the twenty ninth of april eighteen thirty two have been admitted to entry in the ports of spain including those of the Balearic and canary islands on payment of the same tonnage duty of five cents per ton as though they had been spanish vessels and this whether our vessels arrive in spain directly from the united states or indirectly from any other country when congress by the act of 13 july 1832 gave effect to this arrangement between the two governments they confined the reduction of tonnage duty merely to spanish vessels coming from a port in spain leaving the former discriminating duty to remain against such vessels coming from a port in any other country it is manifestly unjust that whilst american vessels arriving in the ports of spain from other countries pay no more duty than spanish vessels spanish vessels arriving in the ports of the united states from other countries should be subjected to heavy discriminating tonnage duties this is neither equality nor reciprocity and is in violation of the arrangement concluded in december eighteen thirty one between the two countries the spanish government have made repeated and earnest remonstrances against this inequality, and the favorable attention of Congress has been several times invoked to the subject by my predecessors. I recommend as an act of justice to Spain that this inequality be removed by Congress, and that the discriminating duties which have been levied under the Act of the 13th of July 1832 on Spanish vessels coming to the United States from any other foreign country be refunded. This recommendation does not embrace Spanish vessels arriving in the United States from Cuba and Puerto Rico which will still remain subject to the provisions of the Act of June 30, 1834, concerning tonnage duty on such vessels. By the Act of 14th of July, 1832, coffee was exempted from duty altogether. The exemption was universal, without reference to the country where it was produced, or the national character of the vessel in which it was imported. By the Tariff Act of the thirtieth of August, eighteen forty two, this exemption from duty was restricted to coffee imported in American vessels from the place of its production, whilst coffee imported under all other circumstances was subjected to a duty of twenty per cent ad valorem. Under this act and our existing treaty with the King of the Netherlands, java coffee imported from the european ports of that kingdom into the united states whether in dutch or american vessels now pays this rate of duty the government of the netherlands complains that such a discriminating duty should have been imposed on coffee the production of one of its colonies and which is chiefly brought from java to the ports of that kingdom and exported from thence to foreign countries our trade with the netherlands is highly beneficial to both countries and our relations with them have ever been on the most friendly character under all the circumstances of the case i recommend that this discrimination should be abolished and that the coffee of java imported from the netherlands be placed upon the same footing with that imported directly from brazil and other countries where it is produced under the 8th section of the tariff act of the 30th of august 1842 a duty of 15 cents per gallon was imposed on port wine in casks while on the red wines of several other countries when imported in casks a duty of only 6 cents per gallon was imposed this discrimination so far as regarded the port wine of portugal was deemed a violation of our treaty with that power which provides that no higher or other duties shall be imposed on the importation into the united states of america of any article the growth produce or manufacture of the kingdom and possessions of portugal then such as are or shall be payable on the like article being the growth produce or manufacture of any other foreign country accordingly to give effect to the treaty as well as to the intention of congress expressed in a proviso to the tariff act itself that nothing therein contained should be so construed as to interfere with subsisting treaties with foreign nations a treasury circular was issued on the sixteenth of july eighteen forty four which among other things declared the duty on the port wine of portugal in casks under the existing laws and treaty to be six cents per gallon and directed that the excess of duties which have been collected on such wine should be refunded by virtue of another clause in the same section of the act it is provided that all imitations of port or any other wines shall be subject to the duty provided for the genuine article imitations of port wine the production of france are imported to some extent into the united states and the government of that country now claims that under a correct construction of the act these imitations ought not to pay a higher duty than that imposed upon the original port wine of portugal it appears to me to be unequal and unjust that french imitations of port wine should be subjected to a duty of fifteen cents while the more valuable article of portugal should pay a duty of six cents only per gallon i therefore recommend to congress such legislation as may be necessary to correct the inequality the late president in his annual message of december last recommended an appropriation to satisfy the claims of the texan government against the united states which had been previously adjusted so far as the powers of the executive extend these claims arose out of the act of disarming a body of texan troops under the command of major snivelly by an officer in the service of the united states acting under the orders of our government and the forcible entry into the custom-house at brierly's landing on red river by certain citizens of the united states and taking away therefrom the goods seized by the collector of the customs as forfeited under the laws of texas this was a liquidated debt ascertained to be due to texas when an independent state her acceptance of the terms of annexation proposed by the united states does not discharge or invalidate the claim i recommend that provision be made for its payment the commissioner appointed to china during the special session of the senate in march last shortly afterwards set out on his mission in the united states ship columbus on arriving at rio de janeiro on his passage the state of his health had become so critical that by the advice of his medical attendants he returned to the united states early in the month of october last commodore biddle commanding the east india squadron proceeded on his voyage in the columbus and was charged by the commissioner with the duty of exchanging with the proper authorities the ratifications of the treaty lately concluded with the emperor of china since the return of the commissioner to the united states his health has been much improved and he entertains the confident belief that he will soon be able to proceed on his mission unfortunately differences continue to exist among some of the nations of south america which following our example have established their independence while in others internal dissensions prevail it is natural that our sympathies should be warmly enlisted for their welfare that we should desire that all controversies between them should be amicably adjusted and their governments administered in a manner to protect the rights and promote the prosperity of their people It is contrary, however, to our settled policy to interfere in their controversies, whether external or internal. I have thus adverted to all the subjects connected with our foreign relations to which I deem it necessary to call your attention. Our policy is not only peace with all, but goodwill toward all the powers of the earth, while we are just to all, we require that all shall be just to us. Excepting the differences with Mexico and Great Britain, our relations with all civilized nations are of the most satisfactory character. It is hoped that in this enlightened age these differences may be amicably adjusted. The Secretary of the Treasury in his annual report to Congress will communicate a full statement of the condition of our finances. The imports for the fiscal year, ending on the 30th of June last, were of the value of $117,254,564, of which the amount exported was $15,346,830 leaving a balance of $101,907,734 for domestic consumption. The exports for the same year were of the value of $114,646,606, of which the amount of domestic articles was $99,299,776. The receipts into the Treasury during the same year were $29,769,133.56, of which there were derived from customs $27,528,122.70, from sales of public lands $2,077,022.30, and from incidental and miscellaneous sources one hundred and sixty three thousand nine hundred and ninety eight dollars and fifty six cents the expenditures for the same period were twenty nine million nine hundred and sixty eight thousand two hundred and six dollars and ninety eight cents of which eight million five hundred and eighty eight thousand one hundred and fifty seven dollars and sixty two cents were applied to the payment of the public debt the balance in the treasury on the first of july last was seven million six hundred and fifty eight thousand three hundred and six dollars and twenty two cents the amount of the public debt remaining unpaid on the first of october last was seventeen million seventy five thousand four hundred and forty five dollars and fifty two cents Further payments of the public debt would have been made in anticipation of the period of its reimbursement under the authority conferred upon the Secretary of the Treasury by the acts of July twenty one eighteen forty one and of April fifteenth eighteen forty two and march third eighteen forty three 1843, had not the unsettled state of our relations with Mexico menaced hostile collision with that power. In view of such a contingency, it was deemed prudent to retain in the treasury an amount unusually large for ordinary purposes. A few years ago, our whole national debt, growing out of the Revolution and the War of 1812 with Great Britain, was extinguished and we presented to the world the rare and noble spectacle of a great and growing people who had fully discharged every obligation since that time the existing debt has been contracted and small as it is in comparison with the similar burdens of most other nations it should be extinguished at the earliest practicable period should the state of the country permit and especially if our foreign relations interpose no obstacle it is contemplated to apply all the monies in the treasury as they accrue beyond what is required for the appropriations by congress to its liquidation i cherish the hope of soon being able to congratulate the country on its recovering once more the lofty position which it so recently occupied our country which exhibits to the world the benefits of self-government in developing all the sources of national prosperity owes to mankind the permanent example of a nation free from the blighting influence of a public debt the attention of congress is invited to the importance of making suitable modifications and reductions of the rates of duty imposed by our present tariff laws the object of imposing duties on imports should be to raise revenue to pay the necessary expenses of government congress may undoubtedly in the exercise of a sound discretion discriminate in arranging the rates of duty on different articles but the discriminations should be within the revenue standard and be made with the view to raise money for the support of government it becomes important to understand distinctly what is meant by a revenue standard the maximum of which should not be exceeded in the rates of duty imposed it is conceded and experience proves that duties may be laid so high as to diminish or prohibit altogether the importation of any given article and thereby lessen or destroy the revenue which at lower rates would be derived from its importation such duties exceed the revenue rates and are not imposed to raise money for the support of government if congress levy a duty for revenue of one per cent on a given article it will produce a given amount of money to the treasury and will incidentally and necessarily afford protection or advantage to the amount of one per cent to the home manufacturer of a similar or like article over the importer if the duty be raised to ten per cent it will produce a greater amount of money and afford greater protection if it be still raised to twenty twenty-five or thirty per cent AND IF, AS IT IS RAISED, THE REVENUE DERIVED FROM IT IS FOUND TO BE INCREASED, THE PROTECTION OR ADVANTAGE WILL ALSO BE INCREASED, BUT IF IT BE RAISED TO 31%, AND IT IS FOUND THAT THE REVENUE PRODUCED AT THAT RATE IS LESS THAN AT 30%, IT ceases TO BE A REVENUE DUTY. THE PRECISE POINT IN THE ASCENDING SCALE OF DUTIES AT WHICH IT IS ASCERTAINED FROM EXPERIENCE THAT THE REVENUE IS GREATEST is the maximum rate of duty which can be laid for the bona fide purpose of collecting money for the support of government to raise the duties higher than that point and thereby diminish the amount collected is to levy them for protection merely and not for revenue as long then as congress may gradually increase the rate of duty on a given article and the revenue is increased by such increase of duty they are within the revenue standard when they go beyond that point and as they increase the duties the revenues diminished or destroyed the act ceases to have for its object the raising of money to support government but is for protection merely it does not follow that congress should levy the highest duty on all articles of import which they will bear within the revenue standard for such rates would probably produce a much larger amount than the economical administration of the government would require. Nor does it follow that the duties on all articles should be at the same or a horizontal rate. Some articles will bear a much higher revenue duty than others. Below the maximum of the revenue standard, Congress may and ought to discriminate in the rates imposed, taking care so to adjust them on different articles as to produce in the aggregate the amount which when added to the proceeds of the sales of public lands may be needed to pay the economical expenses of the government in levying a tariff of duties congress exercises the taxing power and for purposes of revenue may select the objects of taxation they may exempt certain articles altogether and permit their importation free of duty on others they may impose low duties in these classes should be embraced such articles of necessity as are in general use and especially such as are consumed by the laborer and poor as well as by the wealthy citizen Care should be taken that all the great interests of the country, including manufacturers, agriculture, commerce, navigation, and the mechanic arts, should, as far as may be practicable, derive equal advantages from the incidental protection which a just system of revenue duties may afford. Taxation, direct or indirect, is a burden and it should be so imposed as to operate as equally as may be on all classes in the proportion of their ability to bear it. To make the taxing power an actual benefit to one class necessarily increases the burden of the others beyond their proportion, and would be manifestly unjust. The terms protection to domestic industry are of popular import, they should apply under a just system to all the various branches of industry in our country. The farmer or planter who toils yearly in his fields is engaged in domestic industry and is as much entitled to have his labor protected as the manufacturer, the man of commerce, the navigator or the mechanic, who are engaged also in domestic industry in their different pursuits the joint laborers of all these classes constitute the aggregate of the domestic industry of the nation and they are equally entitled to the nation's protection no one of them can justly claim to be the exclusive recipient of protection which can only be afforded by increasing burdens on the domestic industry of the others if these views be correct it remains to inquire how far the Tariff Act of 1842 is consistent with them. That many of the provisions of the Act are in violation of the cardinal principles here laid down, all must concede. The rates of duty imposed by it on some articles are prohibitory and others so high as greatly to diminish importations and to produce a less amount of revenue than would be derived from lower rates they operate as protection merely to one branch of domestic industry by taxing other branches by the introduction of minimums or assumed and false values and by the imposition of specific duties the injustice and inequality of the act of eighteen forty two in its practical operations on different classes and pursuits are seen and felt many of the oppressive duties imposed by it under the operation of these principles range from one per cent to more than two hundred per cent they are prohibitory on some articles and partially so on others and bear most heavily on articles of common necessity and but lightly on articles of luxury it is so framed that much the greatest burden which it imposes is thrown on labor and the poorer classes who are least able to bear it while it protects capital and exempts the rich from paying their just proportion of the taxation required for the support of government While it protects the capital of the wealthy manufacturer, and increases his profits, it does not benefit the operatives or laborers in his employment, whose wages have not been increased by it. Articles of prime necessity, or of coarse quality and low price, used by the masses of the people— are in many instances subjected by it to heavy taxes while articles of finer quality and higher price or of luxury which can be used only by the opulent are lightly taxed it imposes heavy and unjust burdens on the farmer the planter the commercial man and those of all other pursuits except the capitalist who has made his investments in manufactures all the great interests of the country are not as nearly as may be practicable equally protected by it the government in theory knows no distinction of persons or classes and should not bestow upon some favors and privileges which all or others may not enjoy was the purpose of its illustrious founders to base the institutions which they reared upon the great and unchanging principles of justice and equity conscious that if administered in the spirit in which they were conceived they would be felt only by the benefits which they diffused and would secure for themselves a defence in the hearts of the people more powerful than standing armies and all the means and appliances invented to sustain governments founded in injustice and oppression the well-known fact that the tariff act of eighteen forty two was passed by a majority of one vote in the senate and two in the house of representatives and that some of those who felt themselves constrained under the peculiar circumstances existing at the time to vote in its favor proclaimed its defects and expressed their determination to aid in its modification on the first opportunity affords strong and conclusive evidence that it was not intended to be permanent and of the expediency and necessity of its thorough revision in recommending to congress a reduction of the present rates of duty and a revision and modification of the act of eighteen forty two i am far from entertaining opinions unfriendly to manufacturers on the contrary i desire to see them prosperous as far as they can be so without imposing unequal burdens on other interests the advantage under any system of indirect taxation even within the revenue standard must be in favor of the manufacturing interest and of this no other interest will complain i recommend to congress the abolition of the minimum principle or assumed arbitrary and false values and of specific duties and the substitution in their place of ad valorem duties as the fairest and most equitable indirect tax which can be imposed by the ad valorem principle all articles are taxed according to their cost or value and those which are of inferior quality or of small cost bear only the just proportion of the tax with those which are of superior quality or greater cost the articles consumed by all are taxed at the same rate a system of ad valorem revenue duties with proper discriminations and proper guards against frauds in collecting them it is not doubted will afford ample incidental advantages to the manufacturers and enable them to derive as great profits as can be derived from any other regular business it is believed that such a system strictly within the revenue standard will place the manufacturing interests on a stable footing and insure to their permanent advantage while it will as nearly as may be practicable extend to all the great interests of the country the incidental protection which can be afforded by our revenue laws such a system when once firmly established would be permanent and not be subject to the constant complaints agitations and changes which must ever occur when duties are not laid for revenue but for the protection merely of a favorite interest in the deliberations of congress on this subject it is hoped that a spirit of mutual concession and compromise between conflicting interests may prevail and that the result of their labors may be crowned with the happiest consequences end of section two